We've assembled again for the fourth session in our study through the book of Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan, which gives us an analogy of the Christian faith in an experimental fashion. And if you have your books with you today, and I trust you do, would you turn with me to page 178, and we'll take up the narrative at that point. To help us remember the Christian faith in an experimental fashion, we have given you five words to relate to the five sessions this week. We've covered three of those words already. They all began with C. They sound somewhat familiar and close to one another. Could you give them back to me? The three words relating our journey thus far. Ready? The first one is conviction. The second one is conversion. And the third one was what? Confrontation. That upon conviction of sin and conversion to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are informed by the Word of God and our Lord Himself that before we reach our destination in the life beyond this life, we will be confronted with many things. The world, the flesh, and the devil, and through much tribulation, we must enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, on page 178 in your copy, we come now to the consummation, and that will be the fourth word that we will leave with you after that the camp is over. The consummation, or the completion of the journey. We've had to take a, a quick brush of the stroke, so to speak, or stroke of the brush, and to get us all the way up to this point. If you have your booklet, keep your hands there open and where your actual book is, turn in your booklet, and we'll take up at the point called Beulah Land, and there are three events which we're going to try to cover today in the consummation of the pilgrim's life. Beulah Land is the little space just before the river, and the river represents the river of death, which all must go through and then entrance into the celestial city. So we've come all the way from the city of destruction, representing a lost estate under the wrath of God, through conversion, conviction rather than conversion. We've confronted many things along the way in the Christian life, and now we come to the consummation of the journey with the land of Beulah. Follow with me as I read the narrative. We have several uh, uh, sections which we must read today, so I must get right into the narrative at hand. Now, we ask that you follow closely. I don't assume that, that those of you, if you've never read the book before, you haven't got to this point. So we'll be reading strange material, so follow along with me. Now I saw in my dream... And I do have the correct part. Okay, thank you. Now I saw in my dream that by this time the pilgrims, and who are they? Christian and who? Hopeful. Were got over the enchanted ground. That is, that period of spiritual drowsiness in which things may become somewhat dull uh, to us regarding the things of Christ. And entering into the country of Beulah, whose air was very sweet and pleasant, the way lying directly through it, they solaced themselves there for a season. Yea, here they heard continually the singing of birds, and saw every day the flowers appear in the earth, and heard the voice of the turtle in the land. That means the turtle dove, not the turtle that we are associated with. In this country the sun shineth night and day, Wherefore, this was beyond the valley of the shadow of death, and also out of the reach of giant despair. Neither could they from this place so much as see Doubting Castle. That's a beautiful analogy. Here they were within sight of the city they were going to. Also, here met them some of the inhabitants thereof 
For in this land the shining ones commonly walked because it was upon the borders of heaven. In this land also the contract between the bride and the bridegroom was renewed, or the vows of commitment. Yea, here as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so doth their God rejoice over them. Here they had no want of corn or wine, for in this place they met with abundance of what they had sought for in all their pilgrimage. And here they heard voices from out of the city, loud voices, saying, Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh, behold, his reward is with him. Here all the inhabitants of the country call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, sought out. Now watch carefully this statement. Now as they walked in this land, they had more rejoicing than in parts more remote from the kingdom to which they were bound. That is, they have more joy here in this state than they've ever had before in their pilgrimage. And drawing near to the city, they had yet a more perfect view thereof. Their understanding what God has in store for them is becoming clearer unto them. It was builded of pearls and precious stones, and also the streets thereof were paved with gold, so that by reason of the natural glory of the city and the reflection of the sunbeams upon it, Christian with desire fell sick. It means he got homesick. But where was his home now? The city of destruction? No, that wasn't his home. He was headed toward uh, his true home, his heavenly home. Abraham looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker was God. And so now he's getting homesick. We read, hopeful also had a fit or two of the same disease. <laughs> he, he just got it. Any of you ever get homesick? How many are homesick already, huh? Okay, we got one, two, three. This, dealing with young people, this happens more so with the camps that's from uh, 8, 9, 10, 11 in through there. If you've ever count, if you've been a counselor and ever worked with that group, or well, after about the first night, about 40% of them are ready to call mom and dad and want to go back home because they're homesick. Now then, here are two Christians which are homesick for a place that they have never yet resided in. And so Bunyan, in his wisdom, his genius, says that Hopeful had a fit or two of the same disease. Wherefore, here they lay by it a while, crying out because of their pangs. And then here's a quote from the Song of Solomon, the fifth chapter in verse 8. If you see my beloved, tell him that I'm sick of love. I want to see my bridegroom. But being a little strengthened and better able to bear their sicknesses, they walked on their way and came nearer and nearer where the orchards, vineyards, and gardens, and their gates opened into the highway. Now as they came up to these places, behold, the gardener stood in the way to whom the pilgrims said, Whose goodly vineyards and gardens are these? And he answered, They are the king's, and are planted here for his own delight, and also for the solace of pilgrims. So the gardener had them into the vineyards and bid them refresh themselves with the dainties. He also showed them where the king's walks and arbors where he delighted to be, and here they tarried and slept. And now I beheld in my dream that they talked more in their sleep at this time than they ever did in all their journey. You ever do that? If you want to know anything about what I do in my sleep, why you go talk with my wife, and she'll gladly expose all of the humiliating experiences that I have in the valley of humiliation. I'm forever talking in my sleep. Well, here they go to sleep, but they are still seem to be almost conscious with the outside world. Well, that's what sleep is. And being in a muse, that is, reflective thought thereabout, the gardener even said to me, Wherefore musest thou at the matter? It is the nature of the fruit of the grapes of the, these vineyards to go down so sweetly as to cause the lips of them that are asleep to speak. 
Now here's the then the analogy of Beulah Land. What does Beulah Land represent as how Bunyan portrays it? Beulah Land is the life of a mature Christian just prior to his death. This does not take place in every Christian's experience. Now bear that with an understanding. It is an advanced, flourishing state of religion in the soul in which a person is elevated to be given clearer insights of their home in heaven to such a degree that the things of the world seem to almost have passed to non-importance. The word Beulah means married. It's taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 62 and verse 4, in which the prophet there is foretelling a flourishing state of religion in the soul that is going to come at the appearance of Messiah. And he holds out a hope to, the, to those people to whom he's ministering unto. Bunyan picks up on that, and rather than applying it to some type of a flourishing worldwide state of religion that is held in eschatological terms as postmillennialism, that is the view that before heaven arrives, there will be a vast conversion of a large mass of people. And the postmillennialist interprets the Isaiah passage in that, in that sense. Bunyan, rather than applying it to that, applies it to the benefits and the insights and the pre-advanced knowledge that God sometimes gives to his saints just prior to their death. Now, as a pastor for 25 years, and anyone who's pastored very long and you've had to deal with deathbed experiences, as a pastor, I have to give some credence to the deathbed experiences of God's people. I'm not an enthusiast in the mean that I emphasize dreams and visions. But young people, I do believe from the Bible and I believe from the records of church history with sound people that sometimes God gives some insights to a person that death is close. And he begins to give them some insights into the world to come. And I've read some thrilling experiences of testimonies of people to this effect. I have listened personally to people who have told me things which they have been shown upon their deathbeds. So it's sort of a premonition that heaven is close. Now, when we begin to think of death, in most cases, people begin to feel sad and dreary and despondent. But not so when God gives an insight to one's impending departure. It elevates the soul and it makes heaven more real to where death then is viewed as God's instrument through which we must pass through to receive our reward. Do you want to leave the world today? Do you want to die today? You say, well, now that's a difficult question. <laughs> There's a part of me, if I'm a Christian, that says, yes, I'd like to be with the Lord. And yet there's a part of me that says, I don't want to give up this body. I don't want to give it up. And we'll touch on that in just a moment as they start passing through the river. But Beulah land as a whole, then, is that place of elevation of spiritual communion with God, which God gives to some of his people just prior to their dying, in which that all of their doubts and fears and tribulations which they have been exposed to, seem to be far back down the road now, and they're ready 
to enter into the celestial city. Some songwriters have picked up on this, and they write such words as this. I wish I could have remembered the totality of these songs. Here's a song I haven't sung for 20 years. Maybe uh, some that are well-versed in music could help me with this. The chorus goes, I'm living on the mountain underneath a cloudless sky. I'm drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry. Oh, yes, I'm feasting on the manna from a bountiful supply, for I am dwelling where? In Beulah land. Now, when I was a boy, what I was given the impression, Beulah land is heaven. But that wasn't the way that it was used in the Word in the Bible in Isaiah, and it wasn't the way that Bunyan understood it. He understood that Beulah land represented a state of spiritual elevation and excitement and encouragement. Prior to our entering heaven, it gave us clearer insights into what heaven held out for us. But it wasn't heaven itself. There's another song. Old Beulah land, old Beulah land, as on the what? Highest mount I stand, I look away. And what a picture. Look out through that window. I look away across the sea where mansions are prepared for me and view the shining glory shore, my heaven, my home, forevermore. This is Beulah land as Bunyan understood it. It's that elevated state which as death is nearing and the body begins to decay and the individual knows that they're not going to live much longer, that God in His grace makes them prepared to die. Somebody says, Pastor, are you ready to die today? Wouldn't you be afraid if somebody walked in this room and put a gun to your head and said, Now, then, where's your faith? Yes, I would. I have grace to live by today, but I need grace to die by. And I won't have that until the time comes, because God doesn't dispense out His grace in one whole big basket. He applies it like He did the manna a day at a time. Are you afraid to die, Christian? Does it trouble you because you're a Christian and yet you still may have some fears of what that, that experience is going to hold out? Listen, when it comes time, God will grant grace to enable you to go through that event just as he's enabled you to go through all of the other events in your Christian life. Beulah land gives us insights into the things of God. Now then, let's move on. So that I saw that when they awoke, and before I move on here, I want to make this statement too. Listen carefully. This is a very searching statement. Heaven must be in you before you will ever be in heaven. What do I mean by that? You must have a longing for the state of heaven before you will ever be put in the place of heaven. I've said throughout my ministry that if God took an unsaved, unregenerate person to heaven, the first thing they'd be looking for would be a window to jump out of, because heaven would be a hell for an unregenerate person to live in. Now, if you don't have a hungering in your heart to live in a world where there's no injustices, where there's no sin, where there's no pride, where there's no animosity, and where you will treat others as others will treat you, if you don't have a hunger to live in a world like that, then you need to be listening carefully what Brother Nettles is saying this week, because that gives evidence of a lack of divine regeneration. Heaven must be set up in the soul here before the soul is taken to the place known as heaven. So I saw that when they awoke, they addressed themselves to go up to the city. 
But as I said, the reflection of the sun upon the city, for the city was pure gold, was so extremely glorious that they could not as yet with open face behold it, but through an instrument made for that purpose. That is the word of God. We cannot see God's glory face to face. We have to live by faith here. So I saw that as they went on, they met two men in raiment that shone like gold, also their faces shone as the light. Now Bunyan introduces us to the ministry of angels. These men asked the pilgrims whence they came, and they told him. They also asked them where they had lodged, what difficulties and dangers, what comforts and pleasures they had met with in the way, and they told them. Then said the men that met them, You have but two more difficulties, more to meet with, and then you are in the city. And those difficulties are going to be death and acceptance at the gate. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Two more difficulties that they must go through. Now, we're introduced here, though, to the ministry of angels. The ministry of angels. I'm not an expert in this area at all. In fact, I feel very uneasy dealing with this, even though I've tried to do some study into it. Angels are real, young people. They are present in our midst today, even though they belong to an unseen world. How many of you remember what the Bible says where Jesus said that Lazarus died, and then what happened to Lazarus? The angels came and carried him where? Into Abraham's bosom. The writer of Hebrews tells us that there are ministering spirits, angels, sent forth to minister unto them who shall be heirs of salvation. The Apostle Paul was given sort of a premonition of his coming death when he said that he has fought a good fight, he had kept the faith, and hence there was laid up for him a crown of righteousness. But he says, the time of my departure is near. He was given some insight to that. Do you remember in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was stoned to death? Do you remember what Stephen was unable to say? And it made the Jewish leaders so angry. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. It seems like that those individuals were given a special insight in connection with the assistance of angels to enable them to face death and go through that river. When I used to attend some uh, youth camps, we sang a song there, which I still remember vaguely about Stephen. Tim, did you ever sing that? I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. I see Jesus yonder in the promised land. Work is over. Now I'm coming to thee. I see Jesus standing, waiting for me. The title of it was Stephen. I can still remember that little hymn. So there is a work of God in assisting the believer to cross through the river. Now then, Spurgeon said of this, that when he watched the way his people died, he could preach like a lion. When he watched the way his people died, he could preach like a lion. Here was the proof of the pudding. How are we going to act when it comes time to cross the river which has no bridge? Mrs. Wesley said this at her death, At my release, let a psalm of praise be sung unto God. When I die and my soul is released, let someone sing a psalm of praise unto God. How many children did she have? 17, 18, 19? Raised all of those children. What a woman and her testimony. Don't be sad when I go. Rejoice, rejoice. Now then, let's move on. 
Christian then and his companion asked the men to go along with them so that they would, told them that they would, but they said, you must obtain it of your own faith. <laughs> they said, come and help us, angels. The angels said, they'll assist, but we're not going to die for you. You're going to have to die personally yourself. Now, young people, I can't go with you. Your mother and your dad and your brother and sister and your best friends can't die in your place. You're going to die. You're going to die. It's appointed unto men wants to die. And so I saw in my dream that they went on together till they came inside of the gate. Now I further saw that betwixt them and the gate was a river, but there was no bridge to go over, and the river was very deep. Isn't this a beautiful analogy of how Bunyan picks up on the terror of death? We must cross the river with no bridge. How many of you were here three years ago? Are you here? Was that the year Brother Ernie Reisinger was here? That's Brother Ernie's, one of his favorite statements, the river with no bridge. And I believe from talking with him privately and and he might uh, dispute what I'm about to say about him, but I believe Brother Ernie is given premonitions of crossing that river with no bridge. Some of you ministers might want to talk with me about that. I believe that he feels that there is a closeness and a nearness that is coming in his own life, and he forever brings this up every time I'm around him, and we sit down in private and talk. Jim, the river's not far off. Now, whether he just means that to face the reality or whether he himself is being given some insight to that, we'll leave it to God, but I'm of the opinion that the latter may be true. At that sight, therefore, of the river, the pilgrims were what? Much stunned. The river was deep. But the men that went with them said, You must go through or you cannot come at the gate. What's this telling us? We can't get out of this life alive. You've got to die before you go into the next life. And there's no boat that's going to deliver you to the celestial city in peace. There's no bridge that you can go over. It's vain hope to believe so, and ignorance as we look at him tomorrow will be the example of that. You must die and then appear before God. The pilgrims then began to inquire if there was no other way to the gate, to which they answered, Yes, but there have not any save two, Enoch and Elijah, been permitted to tread that path since the foundation of the world. Only two people in God's revelation, have been allowed to leave this world without dying. And who were the young people? Enoch and who? Elijah. Enoch walked with God and the Lord took him. And Elijah was taken to heaven in a fiery chariot. Those two were taken without experiencing the death of this mortal body. But those two only, but that doesn't mean at all that that's the only two. Look at this. Nor shall until the last trumpet shall sound. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and the trumpet sounds and the world comes to an end, then those Christians who are living, their bodies will be changed from a mortal body into an immortal body, and they will not go through corruption of this body. But everybody else must face death. And that puts us in that boat. The pilgrims then, especially Christian, began to despond in their mind. Oh, my. Our hero, (laughs) the one that we've looked to as our captain, he begins to despond now. And they looked this way and that, but no way could be found by them by which they might escape the river. Then they asked the men if the waters were all of a depth. Is it all the same depth out there? As I look out across the gulf seen to me today, I can ask that question. Is it all the same depth? If you go out into the gulf, you know that you can be walking along and 
going a little bit deeper and deeper, and all of a sudden you step off in a hole, and it's way over your head. You get out of that, you can even go a few feet more, and you're back maybe knee-deep or waist-deep again. Is it all the same death? What's death like? Now watch. They said no, yet they could not help them in that case. Why? Because these angels have what? Have never died. Angels do not die. And hence angels can't experience and inform human beings what it's like. But they can help them in this matter. For, said they, you shall find it deeper or shallower as you believe in the king of the place. Isn't that lovely? The river will only be as deep as your faith. And the longer you keep your eye on the king of the place, that is Christ, then the river will become shallower. And I encourage you in your reading to just jump over to the back part, not right now, but to the second part and read how Christiana and all the other and her group went through. And you'll find that the river was about dried up at that time of the season. That is, it was not doing flood stages. What's this but telling us? To some people, death is a horrible, terrible experience. And to others, it's a very peaceful thing to wade right on through it. What will your experience be? What will mine be? I can't tell you. I can't tell you. You'll have to wait until that appointed hour comes for you. Now look, then they address themselves to the water. And entering, Christian began to what? <laughs> he began to sink. And crying out to his good friend, Hopeful, he said, I sink in deep waters. The billows go over my head. All his ways go over me. Selah. Pause. Reflect on that. And then said the other, Be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom, and it's good. Isn't that remarkable? Here our hero, the strong captain of the faith, now he begins to sink as they wade out into the death experience. And the other one says, oh, don't be discouraged. I feel the bottom, and it's good. Back in the Midwest, before I moved to the present state of Alabama, I used to do a tremendous amount of fishing the rivers by wading the streams. And if you waded a stream and you got even up into water this deep, if you were on a rock bottom, you could even stand out in a swift current and brace yourself against that. But in other parts of the stream, if you settled down into a slime or a slippery mud, you couldn't even stand up if it was just knee-deep and you began to sink. I got caught one day in one of those places and had to have my uncle, who happened to be with me, to come and pull me out. I had sunk down to my waist, and I thought I was in quicksand, and I was going under. Now, what that causes is panic. It causes you to lose your senses. How many of you have ever had a, an experience, maybe, of learning how to swim and you thought you were going to drown. Anybody? Is that not a panic that triggers in your mind? Maybe your swimming instructor had given you all of the instructions, what to do and how to relax, how to move the hands, how to move the feet, but you couldn't remember a thing that they had instructed you in when you were in that panic state. It wasn't that you hadn't been informed, but terror causes the senses to become irrational. This is what happens to our hero. Don't look down on him. Don't view him as someone, oh my, what a shame, what a terrible testimony. Because we never know what will happen when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. 
but now look on. My friend, the sorrows of death have compassed me about. I shall not see the land that flows with milk and honey. And with that, a great darkness and horror fell upon Christian so that he could not see before him that spiritual panic. Spiritual panic. Also, here he in a great measure lost his what? His senses so that he could neither remember nor orderly talk of any of those sweet refreshments that they had met with in the way of his pilgrimage. He couldn't remember the interpreter's house. He couldn't remember the cross. He couldn't remember anything that he had been instructed into because panic had filled his soul. But all the words that he spoke still tended to discover that he had horror of mind and heart fears that he should die in that river and never obtain entrance in at the gate. Here also, as they that stood by perceived, he was much in the troublesome thoughts of the sins that he had committed both since and before he began to be a pilgrim. It was also observed that he was troubled with apparitions of hobgoblins and evil spirits. Forever and anon he would intimate so much by words. Every once in a while he would give indication that he was fighting a spiritual warfare with demonic influences. Hopeful, therefore, here had much ado to keep his brother's head above water. Yea, sometimes he would be quite gone down, and then ere after a while he would rise up again half dead. you get the picture? Someone told us, was it your pastor, uh, camp pastor, told us about the fellow getting t- caught in the seaweed out here yesterday? Going down, I don't know that that's true, this thing of saying that you've got to go, come up and go down three times before you drown, because I've heard of too many records of just going down one time, and that was it. But here's the picture. He comes up gasping. The waters are over his head, and he goes back down again into the darkness of the water. And then he'll get his head back up again. He's just bobbing up and down as he's going through the experience of death. Hopeful did also endeavor to comfort him, saying, Brother, I see the gate and men standing by to receive us. We're getting closer. We're almost there. But Christian would answer, Tis you, tis you they wait for, for you have been hopeful ever since I knew you. And so have you, said he to Christian. Ah, brother, said he, surely if I was right, that is, surely if I was right with God, he would now arise to help me. But, oh, for my sins, he hath brought me into the snare and hath left me. Then said Hopeful, my brother, you have quite forgot the text whereof it is said of the wicked. There are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not troubled as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. In other words, the wicked person dying doesn't have these same thoughts, even though death is a fear to them. They're not troubled about the judgment. They're not troubled about facing God, but a Christian is concerned about that. These waters and distresses that you go through, in the, or these troubles and distresses you go through in these waters, are no sign that God has forsaken you but are sent to try you, whether that you will call to mind that which heretofore you have received of his goodness and live upon him in your distresses. In other words, view death as a testing, not as a punishment from God. Then I saw in my dream that Christian was in a muse a while. Muse means to think, reflective thought. If you go away to Six Flags, what do they call that place? It's an amusement park. Now, why do people go to amusement parks? If muse means to think and to carefully reflect upon something and to discipline your thought, when you amuse, what do you do? You don't think. And young people, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with going to an amusement park. But I'm saying this whole generation is seeking to escape 
serious, reflective thoughts about death and dying by not thinking on them, and they're drowning themselves in amusing pleasures. Running from this place to here, from the gulf to the mountains, to Six Flags, to the ball games, basketball, baseball, and football, and they go there to be entertained and not to have to carefully reflect upon serious and sobering thoughts about life. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? So Christian begins to carefully reflect about his state in death. To whom also hopeful added these words, Be of good cheer, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. And with that, Christian break out with a loud voice, Oh, I see him again. I see him again, and he tells me, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. Then they both took courage, and the enemy, that is death, was after that as still as a stone until they were gone over. Christian therefore presently found ground to stand upon, and so it followed that the rest of the river was but shallow. And thus they got over. The songwriter picks up upon this in these words, When I come to the river at ending of day, when the last winds of sorrow have blown, there will be somebody waiting to show me the way. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Jesus died for my sins to atone. In the darkness I see, he will be waiting for me. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Oftentimes I am forsaken, weary and sad, when it seems that my friends have all gone. But there is one hope which cheers me and makes my heart glad. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. He picked up upon that from the analogy of death revealed to us in the Scriptures. You say, but Pastor, that's just for old people. That's just for people like you who are 65. That's what my kids think I am. I'm 47 years old, and I have a son today who has a birthday that's 19, but he thinks I'm ancient. You say, Pastor, this is all right for old people who have a lot of wrinkles, they can't walk straight, they have glasses and hearing aids. You know, death's close for them. Do you know how close death is to you? I know some of you found out it was very close. I heard you screaming the other night when that lightning bolt hit. Hmm? That's how close you are to facing the river at any moment. Any moment. You say, well, I can prevent a lot of things. Yes, you can avoid a lot of things, but you cannot keep your attention to all the different angles that death has of taking you. It can come like that. That heart can quit in a split moment. This is applicable to you. Today also. The 23rd Psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, when it comes time to die, that psalm will mean nothing to you unless you can put that in the first person. The Lord is my shepherd. It's not the Lord is my pastor shepherd. The Lord is my mother and father shepherd. The Lord is my brother or sister shepherd. If that psalm is going to enable you to go through the river, which has no bridge, you must personally know the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 116, verse 15, God says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his what? Who knows that? The death of his saints. We have word 
from your camp pastor that a little, little baby was born in their congregation. And I have no doubt when he goes back and he looks upon that child, or he'll say, oh, how precious, how precious. When we have people come into this world and we see those little infants, we say, what a precious bundle this is. Do you know we don't look upon things as how God looks upon things? God looks upon the death of His saints as that which is precious in His sight. Because now they enter into their eternal reward. Now upon the bank of the river and on the other side they saw the two shining men again who there waited for them. Wherefore, being come out of the river, they saluted them, saying, We are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those that shall be heirs of salvation. There's your angelic ministry. And thus they went along towards the gate. Now you must note that Now you must note that the city stood upon a mighty hill, but the pilgrims went up that hill with ease because they had these two men to lead them up by the arms. They had likewise left their mortal garments behind them in the river. In other words, there's nothing to hold them back now. No more sinful nature. Old Adam is gone. For though they went in with them, they came out without them. You just can't leave this world without leaving this body. They therefore went up here with much agility and speed through the foundation upon which the city, although the foundation which the city was framed was higher than the clouds. They therefore went up through the region of the air, sweetly talking as they went, being comforted because they safely got over the river and had such glorious companions to attend him. The talk that they had with the Shining One was about the glory of the place, who told them that the beauty and the glory of it was inexpressible. There, said they, is Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the innumerable company of angels, and the spirits of just men made perfect. You are going now, said they, to the paradise of God, wherein you shall see the tree of life and eat of the never-fading fruits thereof. And when you come there, you shall have white robes given you, and your walk and talk shall be every day with the king, even all the days of eternity. Now notice what occupied their language. They were taken up with the glory of of the new place they were going to and the king who was there. Pastor, we don't find any record that Bunyan gives here that they stood there and carried on a conversation and said, Oh my, I wonder who will take care of old Bessie, my cow, back there. I wonder who will plow the South 40 this summer. I wonder who will keep the car tuned up. That is all out of their language now. They've been given a new vocabulary, for they have a new world to live in. They've learned a new language. What are we going to do in heaven? There you shall not see again such things as you saw when you were in the lower region upon the earth, to wit, sorrow, sickness, affliction, and death. I had a lady tell me one time, well, oh, I don't want to die. I'm going to have to leave all of these things. And I said, what things? She began to name some. Here's some things that Bunyan names. Sorrow. You... You want to take that to heaven with you? You want to take your sickness with you? 
You want to take your afflictions and trials? You want to take death with you and its fears? No, all of that's left behind. Anybody have any problem with leaving that behind? For the former things are passed away. You are going now to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to the prophets, men that God had taken away from the evil to come, that are now resting upon their beds, each one walking in righteousness. The men then ask, What must we do in this holy place? To whom it was answered, You must there receive the comfort of all your toil, and have joy for all your sorrow. You must reap what you have sown, even the fruit of all your prayers and tears and suffering for the king of the way. In that place you must wear crowns of gold, enjoy the perpetual sight and vision of the Holy One, for there you shall see him as he is. It is in this perhaps that Fanny Crosby wrote her famous song, I shall know him, I shall know him, and redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him, by the what? By the print of the nails in his hands. What's the other hymn? Face to face with Jesus. I can't recall how that one uh, goes at this moment. But again, it is coming face to face with the one whom we've never seen and yet have loved. What a marvelous experience that's going to be, my people. There also you shall serve him continually with praise, with shouting, thanksgiving, whom you desire to serve in the world, though with much difficulty because of the infirmity of your flesh. There your eyes shall be delighted with seeing, and your ears with hearing the pleasant voice of the Mighty One. And there you shall enjoy your friends again that are gone thither before you, and there you shall with joy receive even every one that follows you into the holy place after you. Who did he introduce them to first? Jesus. The psalmist David says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? But there's somebody else there in that celestial city, and it's our relatives and our friends who have died in the Lord and gone on before us. I have great hope, Brother Pastor, that my father is there in that number. And I will again be able to enter into a relationship with him, never again having a surgical error remove our friendship. But I'm going to tell you this, he's not the first one I want to see. I don't want to see mom and dad first. I want to see the one who made it all possible first. I want to see his face. Oh, to behold the face of the one who loved me, and yet I've never seen him. Never seen him. I wonder what it would be like to be born blind and never see your parents. see the one who loved us, and yet we served him all through this earthly pilgrimage and never saw his face. But the thing that's going to stand out to help us understand the characteristics of the features of the face is the nail prints in his hands and the hole in his side. He died in my place. There you shall also be clothed with glory and majesty and put in an equipage to fit to ride out with the king of glory. When he shall come with sound of trumpet in the clouds as upon the wings of the wind, you shall come with him. And when he shall sit upon the throne of judgment, you shall sit with him. Yea, and when he shall pass sentence upon all the workers of iniquity, let them be angels or men, you also shall have a voice in that judgment, because they were his and your enemies." Also, when he shall return again to the city, you shall go to with sound of trumpet and be ever with him. Now, while they were thus drawing toward the gate, behold, a company of the heavenly host came out to meet them, to whom it was said by the other two shining ones, These are the men that have loved our Lord when they were in the world, and they have left all for his holy name. And he has sent us to fetch them, and we have brought them thus far on their desired journey, that they may go in and look up their Redeemer in the face with joy. Then the heavenly host gave a great shout, saying, Blessed are they that are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
And there came out at this time to meet them several of the king's trumpeters, clothed in white and shining raiment, who with melodious noises and loud made even the heavens to echo with their sound. The trumpeters saluted Christian and his fellow with ten thousand welcomes from the world, and this they did with shouting and sound of trumpet. Now, that's quite a reception. Do you know, young people, the Bible says that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels when there is one sinner that is converted? How much more when that sinner enters into the final abode? The brass band, the trumpets are brought out. You talk about the prodigal returning home and the father having the robe and the fatted calf and everything. Heaven rejoices every time a Christian goes through the valley of the shadow of death and enters into the celestial city, the eternal state. They welcome pilgrims as their journey is ended. This done, they compassed them around on every side. Some went before, some behind, some on the right hand, some on the left, as it were to guard them through the upper regions, continually sounding as they went with melodious noise in notes on high, so that the very sight was to them that could behold it as if heaven itself was come down to meet them. And thus, therefore, they walked on together, and as they walked ever and anon, these trumpeters, ever once in a while, even with joyful sound, would, by mixing their music with looks and gestures, still signify to Christian and his brother how welcome they were in their company, and with what gladness they came to meet them. Do you ever feel like that you just don't fit in at times? came here the young to the youth camp and you know, I don't know whether anybody will accept me. Gives you sort of a strange feeling, isn't it? To get acquainted. That's why Brother Askell's tried to get you to learn who each other is. But to walk into a group which you are not met it gives you a strange sensation that maybe you just don't belong. That won't be the case when you enter heaven. Everybody welcomes the new pilgrim when they come there. You talk about having friends, you won't have any problem having friends there. People that you have never known will immediately be your friend. And if you think, well, I'm bashful, will I just mess everything up? No, you will rejoice and have a personality that is so changed that you'll be able to talk and welcome all the others that will come on after you. They welcomed them. And now were these two men, as it were, in heaven before they came at it, being swallowed up with the sight of angels, with the hearing their melodious notes, and here also they had the city itself in view, and they thought they heard all the bells therein to ring, to wonder, welcome thereunto. But above all, the warm and joyful thoughts that they had about their own dwelling there with such company, and that forever and ever, oh, by what tongue or pen can their glorious joy be expressed? And thus they came up to the gate. Now, what does this convey to us? The Bible doesn't give us a clear picture as to what goes on from the moment that life stops here and when we take up our entrance into the celestial city, other than that there is an angelic assistance that's sent to minister to those who shall be heirs of salvation. And so I can't go much further than that, but evidently, Bunyan felt, perhaps with some justification, that death is not the terror which we hold it out to be. We look at it in the future and we say, oh, I recoil against it. Perhaps some of you read these accounts of deathbed experiences, of out-of-the-body experiences. I don't put a great deal of comfort in those although I don't discredit what takes place in the life of a true Christian. But I'm just saying the Lord of the hill has promised to go with us, and it will not be the terrible thing that we are so afraid of 
here and now. Now, when they were come up to the gate, there was written over it in letters of gold. We're just about there now. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to enter to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates to the city. I was going to stop here for three or four minutes. I can't do it. Only say this, and maybe some other counselors can enlarge upon it in your devotions. Be careful, young people, of sitting under any teaching which says that when you're saved, you have nothing to do with the commandments of God. Only those who go into the city go there because they love the will of God as expressed in his holy commandments. Obedience to the commandments cannot and will not save us. We've seen that. Worldly wise man tried to tell us that. The law cannot save, but the law is an expression of what pleases God. And so the commandments are not our ticket of salvation, but when we are saved, we are saved from sin to please God as expressed in his commandments. It's a blessed thing, and no one goes through that gate into the city who does not love the commandments of God. Because in salvation, God not only pardons our sin and justification, He takes His will as that which pleases Him as expressed in His commandments, and He writes it in our very affections and gives us a love to please Him. Then I saw in my dream that the shining men bid them call at the gate, to which when they did, some from above looked over the gate. These are not false pilgrims, formalists, and hypocrisy climbing over the wall. These are some famous ones who are already there, Enoch and Moses and Elijah, looking over the city wall, to whom it was said, These pilgrims are come from the city of destruction, from the love that they bear to the king of this place. And the pilgrims gave in unto them every man his certificate, which they had received in the beginning. Those, therefore, were carried in unto the king, who, when he had read them, said, Where are the men? To whom it was answered, They are standing without the gate. The king then commanded to open the gate, that the righteous nation, said he that keepeth the truth, may enter in. Now I saw in my dream that these two men went in at the gate, and, lo, as they entered, they were transfigured. And they had raiment put on that shone like gold. They were also that met them with harps and crowns and gave them to them the harps to praise with and the crowns in token of honor. Then I heard in my dream that all the bells in the city rang for joy, and it was said unto them, Enter into the joy of the Lord. Their destination is consummated. They are enabled to praise God, and they are crowned for their labors of love to the Lord. Now, what do they do with those crowns? We are rewarded when we enter heaven for our faithfulness, but what do we attribute that faithfulness to? I heard also the men themselves that they sang with a loud voice, saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Have you had one faithful act to give to the Lord? Do you know where that came from? It came from the work of the King making you faithful. And so the book of Revelation describes that the Christians take their crowns and they lay them down before the feet of the one who alone is worthy. Now, just as the gates were open to let the men in, I, now here's the author, looked in after them, and behold, the city shone like the sun. The streets also were paved with gold, and in them walked many men with crowns on their heads, palms in their hands, and golden harps to sing praises with them. There were also of them that had wings, and they answered one another without intermission, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And I close with this statement for this session. And after that they shut up the gates, which... When I had seen, I wished myself among them. 
as we close this session of Pilgrim's Progress and we've gotten our pilgrim into his consummated state of the celestial city, have you found your heart somewhat moved through this pilgrimage that you could say with the author of the book, I somewhat wish that I was in heaven today. Has heaven become any more real, any more clear, any more desirable to you as we have journeyed through this pilgrimage? Now, I have a lovely wife. I have four lovely children. I'm very proud of all of them. God has blessed me with many, many things in the temporal realm. But I've told them, as I tell you today, young people, that if God calls me home today, I'm not going to say, as I used to say years ago when I used to sing the words with Kitty Wells, she had a song, a country and western song, which I thought was very biblical at that time. I used to sing through my nose with her.